The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I want to speak to you this morning about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, two weeks since Easter, uh, and as many of you will realize, that when it comes to the church, the traditional church, they celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after Easter, not 14, as I am doing. Pentecost Sunday this year is the 28th of May. Okay, so what am I doing being six weeks ahead of schedule? First, I like to be ahead of the game. Just ahead of the runners, ahead of the game. Two, I tell you what, it's good sometimes to break with tradition. And three, and most importantly, when is it never right to speak of the blessing of the Holy Spirit? When is it never right to speak of the coming of the one that empowers, equips, and sustains us in his indwelling? Well, with Easter still fresh in our minds, of course, with the glorious resurrection on that first Easter Sunday, with our Jesus rising from the dead, entering, coming out of that tomb. And then, of course, we have this period until he ascends to the Father's right hand in heaven. Now, as I say, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. How do we get to 50 days? Well, because the Bible tells us in Acts, uh, Luke tells us in, in chapter 1 that Jesus was with his disciples. He appeared to disciples and to followers for 40 days after his resurrection. And then it is thought that there were 10 days between the time of his ascension until the time that the Holy Spirit came. So there you are, my maths being bad, but I can still work out that's 50 days, and that's how we get to the 50 days. Why is it called Pentecost? Anyone know? No? It comes from a Greek word, as most of the biblical words do, called Pentecoste, which I'm so pleased is a relatively easy word to pronounce, because some Greek words are not, and Pentecoste means 50. So there we get Pentecost. And it's celebrated, we celebrate it, 50 days after Easter. The Jews celebrate another festival 50 days after, not Easter, they celebrate, of course, Passover. And what they celebrate 50 days after is, is the Feast of Weeks. Anybody heard of the Feast of Weeks? What the Feast of Weeks essentially is, is the celebration of the giving of the law, of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets and, and presenting the Israelites with the law. And there are three, or there were three festivals in the Jewish calendar where all Jewish males were meant to present themselves in Jerusalem in the temple before the Lord. They were Passover, celebration of the freedom from, from Egypt, uh, celebration of this, as I say, the Feast of Weeks, the giving of the law, and the third one was uh, Feast of Tabernacles, which is when the Jews commemorate having lived in tents for 40 years in the wilderness before they come into the promised land. You'll recall that when Peter got up to address the crowds at the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that they, we're told that the streets were packed. They were filled with Jews and, and, and followers from all over the known world. Why was that? Well, it was one of those three festivals, and therefore the streets were abuzz. The streets were alive with people. It was one of the three major festivals. 
Now, we'll talk a little about that a little bit later, and you'll be glad to know that the mini-Jewish history lesson is now at an end. That's the end of that. But before Jesus is taken up into heaven on that glorious day, he tells his disciples they are to wait. And they are to wait in Jerusalem, specifically in Jerusalem. He says to them in Acts chapter 1, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, of course, the, the Holy Spirit had been very much at work long before the time of Jesus' announcing that the, 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 the advocate, the Spirit, will come. We know that Jeremiah spoke way back, way back, that, 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 that there would come a time when the people would know the Lord and the Spirit would have, therefore, his laws, God's laws, written on their hearts. We're told in Ezekiel, it declares, Ezekiel declares of God, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And even Peter, when he gets up to address the crowds on the day of Pentecost, quotes from the prophet Joel, who said, in the end times, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not only that, but we have John the Baptist, who at the very beginning of, of, of Jesus' ministry, he's being cross-examined, you'll remember, by those that come and say, well, how do you have this authority? Or by what name are you, are you doing these things? He says, I, I, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than me will come, whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not only this... But we're, of course, told that the Holy Spirit has been active through the pages of our Bibles. We know that the Word says that he comes across and, and, and rests upon certain people at certain times for certain things, as well as giving them certain encounters of himself. We're told that Othniel, in the book of Judges, the Spirit came upon that Israelite judge. We're told that the Spirit came upon Gideon. We know that the Spirit came upon that maverick judge, Samson. And we're told that even before the, uh, the birth of John the Baptist, that Elizabeth and Zechariah, his parents, had encounters with the Holy Spirit. This is before the Spirit has come in power. Okay? And even when the angel speaks to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, he declares he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, speaking of John the Baptist. However... The coming of the Holy Spirit in the way that the prophets had, had foretold and, and foretell was, was not going to take place until Jesus had ascended to heaven. Couldn't take place until Jesus had ascended to heaven. Why is that? Because the full mission, the Holy Spirit is, pre is present, but the mission of the Spirit cannot begin properly until the full mission of Jesus Christ the Son has been completed. And so that requires Jesus to be glorified. It requires Jesus to be ascended to heaven. And at that point, the ministry of the Holy Spirit can commence. So there is very much an order to this. You see, at this time, Jesus has died on the cross on Good Friday. He's been buried. He's resurrected on glorious first Sunday. But he is still with his disciples. He's still appearing to them. He's still there. And the power of the Spirit will not be released until such time as Jesus goes to be with the Father. Now, not surprisingly, when the disciples are told about this in part by Jesus on the night or before his crucifixion, they're baffled. Would you be baffled? I would be baffled. Jesus is telling them so many things. He's giving them so much information. He's praying for them. He's praying for the likes of us, you'll read if you read through the, the final chapters of John. There's so much for them to take in. 
But he says this to them. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, but if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples are under instruction. And the only instruction they have is this. One, you stay in Jerusalem. Two, you wait. What does that look like? After Jesus is gloriously ascends to the Father's right hand before their very eyes, they wait. Now, I am thinking very much at this time, they must have clung to one another for strength. Jesus is gone. What does that mean? How does this now take a step forward? What do we do, guys? All right, we've got to wait. We've got to wait in Jerusalem. But, but, but I would have felt they would have felt vulnerable. They would have felt unsure. They would have felt rather isolated. Would you? I guess I would have done. What, is, is, what, what do I do now? But we're told this. There was a come the day of the Holy Spirit's coming. It says in Acts 2, verse 1, they were all together in one place. They were together in one place. Now, I think there's a, a, a few lessons for us just simply in them being together in the one place. Listen, as Christians, we all need one another. Amen? Why do we need one another? We need one another for strength. We need one another for encouragement. We need one another for support. We need one another to help us in this walk that we are in with this faith that we have in the risen Lord Jesus. We need one another, brothers and sisters in the church, to all be together in the one place, so as to speak. It says in Proverbs, and it is a rather famous proverb, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a famous proverb, and it's quoted well outside the four walls of a church. And what we need, therefore, is it talks about we need loving, caring people to aid us in this walk of faith. We need one another. We need one another. We need those that have got their, our best interests at heart because we've all got crusty outer edges. Some of us have sharper edges than others, but we all have them. And it's the church that causes us to be able to see those edges and to lose those edges. I've always loved, and many of you will know this, that lovely analogy of the people in the church being like the coal in the fireplace. Picture the coals in the fireplace glowing hot. That represents the people in the church. Take out the coal, put it on the hearth. How quickly it loses its heat and starts to darken down. And then if you take the tongs and put it back in the fireplace, how quick does it radiate its heat again? A wonderful analogy. Do you see, there is no model in the Bible for Christians going it alone. There is no model for the maverick. There is no model, because why is that? It's because Jesus has the church in mind and wants us to be part of the church. So when you get those people go, I have a faith, but there is no perfect church, I'll do my own thing, thank you very much. There's no model for that. There's no model for that in the Word. Now, I've no doubt, and we're told in Scripture this is true, that, as I say, when those disciples are by themselves, together, they would have prayed. They would have worshipped their socks off. They would have been in the Scriptures and studying the Word. They've got nothing else to do. They were drawing strength from one another. So here's another thing. Of course, we spend most of our time praying alone. We're in our homes, wherever we are choosing to pray. We spend most of that time alone before the Lord. But 
there are great need of praying with one another. Why do I say that? Because when we pray with one another, we're encouraged by one another. Our prayer language grows. Why? Because I hear the prayers of one another. Not only that, but, but we're encouraged generally when we're together. We find a greater sense of unity, a greater sense of purpose when we're praying together. There is a unifying thing about prayer. And the other thing that the disciples were doing were, and this is the thing that Jesus told them to do, they were waiting. They were waiting for the advocate. How long did they have to wait? No idea. Could be a day, could be a week, could be a month, could be a year. They don't know. They've not been told that. The advocate, what does the advocate look like? Is he going to knock on the door? I'm the advocate. What's this going to, what does it look like? They have no idea. Do you find waiting easy? I don't. I hate waiting in anything. If I see a queue, Gail's just open around the corner. If I see it, nope, I'm not going there. It's a queue. I hate queues. If I've got a need, I want it met, I want it met now. If I've got a hurt, I've got an ache, I've got a pain, I want it sorted, and I want it sorted now. And that is the life of the Western culture. Would you agree? I think it's, like, it's true of humanity, but it's certainly true of our culture. I don't like waiting. Absolutely not. And I think even as Christians, if we don't get what we're looking for, if we don't get what we think God should do for us, we are prone to blaming God. You don't care for me. You don't understand my situation. You don't really have a heart for me. But what God might be doing through those times, through those testing times, through those trying times, sometimes those confusing times, he wants to say, look at me. Concentrate on me. Focus on me. Not the quick fix. Me. So there is something in the waiting. So, to be together to be in the church, to be serving in the church, to be praying alone, praying with others, to be reading the scriptures, to be in the word, to be very much trusting in God as you wait for him to move in your life. These are the ways that we attract the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, right. Well, back in Jerusalem, because this is where our story is, the disciples are secreted away in this room, okay? It's not just the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas has fallen foul of what he has fallen foul of but there's the 11 of them, but there's also the next sort of, as it were, group of followers that are with them. And whilst the numbers are swelling in the streets, they are secreted away, waiting, not knowing, but praying and seeking God. Let me read to you from Scripture, Acts 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Luke carries on. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each other heard their own language being spoken. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Verse 2 says that a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Ruach. R-U-A-C-H. And it means breath of God, the wind of God. 
Do you remember how the, the Spirit was hovering over the waters, it tells us at Genesis, ahead of creation, bringing life? Do you remember in that famous 37th chapter of Ezekiel, the Valley of the Dry Bones, how God summoned the Spirit to breathe that the dry bones took on flesh and became life? Do you remember how Jesus, in that midnight or that late night uh, meeting with Nicodemus, the Pharisee who was wanting to know more about this Jesus and his ministry, spoke of the Spirit being like the, the wind? You don't know where he's going. You don't know where he's been. But he blows and he wills as he sees fit. Or how Jesus breathed on the disciples in John 20, 22, in a foretaste of saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, John the Baptist said, he will anoint you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Spirit brings life. Now, these needy but very faithful disciples had waited, they had prayed, they would stayed in Jerusalem, but now was the time. Now was the hour. And Luke tells us that this wind, this breath, had the sound of a violent wind, not a gentle breeze, a violent wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And I always smile when I read this voice, because if I was amidst in this room, I wouldn't be sitting. <laughs> I think I'd be on my knees all gloriously praising God. But anyway, they were in this house. Do you remember how Elijah, when he was before God on the mountain... The, mount, the wind blew, and it shook the mountainside. It tore the mountainside. But we're told then, God wasn't in the wind. He was in a gentle whisper that followed the wind. Not so today. The violent wind is here. And the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, has come upon these needy guys, and he's come to bring vitality. He's come to bring energy. He's come to bring strength. He's come to bring purpose and zeal and passion and heart. He's come to bring courage and boldness. That's what our Holy Spirit is doing. And then, and, and the Spirit and He, and it is a He, it's not an it. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a He, okay? And rested on them, it says, as tongues of fire. What does fire do? Many things, but the one thing it does, it burns up. It consumes everything in its path. We know that, don't we? The Spirit comes to remove dross, to remove rubbish. You'll, you'll, you'll know that, that in a smelting process, where gold or silver is put in a, a furnace and it's heated so ridiculously high that the, 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 the actually gold or the silver melts and the impurities float to the surface. That's called the dross. That's where we get the word dross. It's skimmed off. What happens then? The gold and the silver is that much more pure. The Holy Spirit comes to get rid of the dross in my life, in your life, to remove the rubbish, to remove all that stands in the way of you and me becoming who Jesus wanted to be, followers of him. And the Spirit also brings cleansing, healing, healing of hurts. He brings guidance, he brings encouragement, he brings empowerment. Another thing that fire does is it warms. It warms. What did Peter do on that night that Jesus was crucified? What did He was drawn to what? A fire to warm himself by the fire. Oh, fire warms. We all know that. 
What does the warmth of the Holy Spirit do in your life? It makes you different. It means that you are warm. You're able to give. You're able to forgive. You're able to love. You're able to prefer. You're able to serve. What, in your own strength? No, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we might be what Jesus has called us to be. Cities on a hill. What? So that all the glory can go to me? Look at me, guys. No. So all the glory can go to him. But we live lives that are different from the model of the world. God was starting to impart a new power, a new strength, a new beginning, a new part of the new covenant. I'm equipping my people. As the prophets have spoken about, now is the time of the coming. The Holy Spirit is here. When Jesus was with them, he could only be in one place at one time. Why is that? He was restricted at that time within a body, as you and I are. So if I'm out there, I can't be in here. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit anoints them all. And he was equipping all. Luke chapter 4, I love this, tells us that all of them, all of them were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Not just the disciples, the disciples, the followers, the men, the women, they were all anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They'd received this power, this equipping, this anointing from the Spirit. What for? So that they could be carriers of the gospel. Those that minister to others in strength and in the way of the Lord's bidding. Well, in this power, they soon spill out onto the street. They can't contain it. They've got to get out. They're out on the streets. And Peter soon gets up and he addresses the crowd and he speaks to them. The crowds are many because why? It's festival time. The streets are packed. He's no longer fearful. He's no longer hesitant. He's not uncertain. He's not hiding away. Completely the opposite. He's steadfast. He's assured. He knows what has been uh, given to him. He's filled with the Spirit. We don't have time this morning to look at what Peter says to that crowd. But we do know, I guess most of you, and if you don't, 3,000 people were added to the church that morning because of what, uh, what Peter stood up and spoke of. 3,000. Interesting to compare. 3,000 people died as a consequence of making the idol of the golden calf when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the written tablets of the law. 3,000 died. 3,000 were born again in Jesus Christ at the preaching of the word. The law brings death. The spirit brings life. Now, we need to be clear. When you repent of your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life as the Lord and the Savior of your life, we are told at that time you are anointed with the Spirit. Okay? The Spirit comes upon you. Let me read to you from Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, 13 to 14, says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, so we have the Holy Spirit upon that day when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But I would suggest and I would say there is a being filled with the Spirit that is in addition to that, as part of it in a sense, but this is a point where we're talking about being equipped by the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm always touched. Um, in the older editions of the Alpha Course, you've heard we're running the Alpha Course again at church. It's brilliant to know. Uh, Nikki Gumbel, one of the founders of the Alpha Course, uh, pr presents the talks. 
These days, it's more like a video presentation, much more like a program you watch, which is brilliant, I hasten to add. But back in the day, you watched Nicky Gumbel preaching on a particular subject. And it always impacted me. And he talks on the Holy Spirit Day of the Spirit uh, having come to people, and he's like a pilot light of a gas boiler in you. We all have him, okay? In Christ, you have him. It's a little pilot light there, and we have him. But those that submit to the Spirit, those that follow the Spirit, those that obey the Spirit, what happens when the gas blows over the pilot light? And that is the difference, being filled. The gas, as it were, gets turned on, and we have the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's, there's fruit that comes about in a life as a consequence. And you also know that the Holy Spirit is, is, is often depicted as a dove, yeah? We all know that. You see the pictures in the Bible. You see the pictures. You stained glass windows. The Holy Spirit is a dove. Uh, the dove is also used uh, you, 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 across the world to, for, for things like innocence and, and, and peace and truth, okay? But the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove. However, have you ever tried running up to a dove? Wands. It flies. It's easily scared. It's, it's, it's off. It needs to be wooed. It needs to be encouraged. I love feeding the birds in my garden. Okay? Called me old man, called it a pretty... I love going out and feeding the birds. And we have two pairs of robins, this side and this side. This side are more bolder than this side. But if I go out, I've gone out day after day feeding them. I now go out and bring the tin, and I come and eat out of the tin. I've even now gone to the point of using my hand, and one of them is bold enough to come briefly onto my hand to eat. You allure, you attract, you get their confidence. It's the same with the Spirit. Wait, you're talking about this powerful Spirit. But yes, we have to draw the Spirit. We have to woo the Spirit. He's in you if you are in Christ, but we have to lure him. We have to be in fellowship with the Spirit. The problem we have, and there are many, is that the Bible says that we are, we are like clay vessels, okay? That's how he describes us. And we have this promise, wonderful person of the Holy Spirit within this clay, but we're flesh. We all know we're flesh. As a result of being clay and flesh, we leak. We sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We get it wrong. We quench the Spirit. I'm prone, you are prone to doubts. We're also prone to worldly influences and the things that we hear on the media and the news. We are sealed with the Spirit, but the measure that we have within us runs low for all sorts of reasons. Could be that health issues, chronic things, presses the Spirit down in you. But we must look to be constantly filled, constantly filled, to be empowered to make this walk with Jesus. You see, it's all about yielding, and it's yielding daily. And it's not only yielding daily, it's yielding moment by moment in each and every day. Submitting to the Spirit's prompting, to submitting to the Spirit's leading, being attuned and sensitive to what the Spirit is saying in the clamor of the day. We've got to break through this thick crust of outside worldliness so that we can be found making right choices, right decisions, right attitudes, right thoughts, right responses. So that I can be right in every situation. What? So I can gloss up my written nose. So I can be attuned and be where God wants me to be with the word that he wants me to bring to that person at that time. 
Not only when we're feeling spiritually attuned, not only when we're in amongst the church, not only when we're around brothers and sisters and we're putting on a rather nice front, no, when we're in those not-so-convenient places, when we have a stressful working day, when we're, when we're commuting, when we're, when we're dealing with that aggravating neighbour. What about when you're behind the wheel of your car? <laughs> That's a vulnerable place for me. I think we'll all agree it's not hard, it's impossible to live the life that Jesus Christ wants you to live in your own strength. It has to be in the anointing daily of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm going to say it again. If you have repented of your wrongdoing, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you asked him to be in your life as your Lord, as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. That is what he said. He is a seal, sealing you for your future inheritance. That's what the word tells us. So we do have this truth. We do have this indwelling. We do have this seal. We do have this pilot light, as it were, living within us. That is what the word tells us. But what we seek to do is to walk with the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit, to be prompted and led by the Spirit, to call upon the Spirit, and most of all, to obey the Spirit. Oh, no, it's inconvenient, Lord. No, no, no not right now. Listen, we need to be pressed down, shaken, overflowing with the Lord's anointing and his power. To be full, to be charged with the spirit, not the flesh. Our Christian bodies are like a bottle of water. Picture just simple, a bottle of water. All right, picture this glass. There we go. I didn't bring it up for purpose, but it'll serve. It's got some water in it. Let's call that our bodies. Let's call that the Holy Spirit. Is it full? Is it full? No, it's not full. It's got some in it because the Holy Spirit's in you. But there is room for more. There is room for a lot more in you and in me. And is it, oh, it might happen one day. No, the Holy Spirit is here. We need to call upon him. I want to be filled, Lord. I want to be overflowing. I want it to be pressed down. I want us to surrender, not just when it's an easy thing for me to do it, when it's inconvenient. We need to pray for that forgiveness and that daily anointing, committing ourselves to being obedient. Listen, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us is a vital aspect of your walk with Christ. Vital. Because you want to live out the life that Jesus has called you to be as a man or a woman of faith, don't you? It's not a ticket in your pocket for heaven. Peter got the ticket. No, it's about living the life here and now, making a difference in our lifetime. We're the generation. The Bible people have gone. We're the generation. They're the people who need to know Jesus Christ out there. Doing it in your own strength? I don't think so. Doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit more than a conqueror. Jesus is glorified, brothers and sisters, and he is seated where? At the right hand of the Father in heaven where the word tells us he intercedes for us. What does intercede mean? It means he pleads for us. He, he intervenes for us before the Father. He wants the best for us. And he's for us, not against us. We've heard it quoted already this morning. The Holy Spirit is here. And we can know his indwelling. We don't have to wait. Why don't we have to be wait? Because we're not a disciple. The, the disciples did the waiting for us. They waited 10 days. The Spirit is here. And the Spirit is able, and the Spirit is willing, and the Spirit has power. But we've got to call upon him. What? Just the, No, not as a one-off. 
daily, guided. Please, Lord, you're here. Can we please agree, if your faith is in Christ today, that we will seek afresh the Holy Spirit's anointing, that we will seek him, this glorious one that's come from the glory of heaven. We want his leading. We want his power. We want him moment by moment, every day. If we're surrendered to his prompts, we will be those people. Can I ask you to stand if you can? Just going to pray here. Heavenly Father, we want to bless you for the indwelling, the coming, the equipping, the anointing, the provision of your Holy Spirit. You are most welcome in this house. You are welcome in this room where we're assembled. You are welcome in every heart that has given himself over to you. And for every heart that is on the cusp of that or has not made that decision, I pray, Holy Spirit, warm that heart, invite that heart, lure that heart, encourage that heart to the truth of your gospel and the glorious provision of all that you have made. For us that are in Christ, we ask you, Lord, forgive us for grieving you. Forgive us for going our own way. Forgiving us for having one foot in the camp of the world whilst trying to have a toehold in the foot of the kingdom of heaven. We ask you, Lord, to come. Simply, Lord, we invite you to come. Not only in this moment, although we invite you and ask you to do your will, have your way, Father, in this house now, in every heart. You know every heart. You know every attitude. You know every mind. You know every thought. But Lord, as we go from this place as well, that we will remember you, invite you, welcome you, embrace you, Holy Spirit, that we will be guided and Lord, that we would be empowered by you. Lord, we don't want the glory to go to us. We want the glory to be to you and to your holy name. And we ask you, Lord, to cause your church to arise and to be the people that you have asked us to be. I pray for every brother. I pray for every sister. I pray for every youth. I pray for every child. I pray for every little one. That, Lord, that you will come and anoint on them. Yes, you are depicted as the dove, Lord. We don't want to frighten you. We want to, we want to woo you. We want to attract you. We want to embrace you. We want to love you. We want to live our lives in the power of your love. You teach us the things of Jesus. You remind us of the promises. And Lord, we thank you that you are here. We are not alone. We are not abandoned. We are not those that have not. We are those that have everything. Your word declares for life and godliness, all things. But Lord, we want to take hold of these things. And we ask you to forgive us where we've been hard of heart. In this hour, in this day, in this season, in this year, we ask you, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Breathe upon us, Ruach of God. Refresh our tired limbs. Refresh our weary, our weary hearts. Father, breathe into us afresh and anew the promises of your kingdom and the wonders of your scripture, the things that are the yes and amen in Christ. We are more than conquerors, but only with you coursing through our veins. Lord, we invite you to be here and to do all that you seek to do in the precious, in the holy, and in the all-loving name that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning, or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.